You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Rapoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. I'm your host this evening, Joe Mays. Sadly, not with me for this recording is my co-host, Justin Raffoff. He will be back soon, and we will have a full slate of coverage coming for you over the next uh, few months, really. Next uh, weekend will be the unofficial kickoff of the season as the scrimmage gets underway on Saturday, that is August 19th against Coatesville. It is at home, so you can come and take a look at the 2023 Wilson football team on Saturday morning at Gursky. Uh, but tonight we have the recorded interview that I did with Coach Doms a few weeks ago. It's a, it's a long one. He and I talked for about an hour covering a lot of topics. The departure of assistant coach Matt Bender, his uh, humanitarian and educational trip to Jamaica, which is great. It's right at the beginning. We talk about it for a while. And then, of course, a variety of topics covering the 2022 season and the upcoming 2023 season. Always great to sit down with Doug, and we hope you enjoy the interview as well. Just a few housekeeping things here want to take care of. Most importantly, want to thank our sponsors. They are really stepping up and helping us out this year. Uh, not only my dad, Bill Mays, and Mays Sandwich Shop, but coming on board recently are the great folks at White Star Tours as presenting sponsors of the Bulldog Hour for Season 9 here and the Wilson Football 2023 season. Really appreciate everyone helping us out in any way you can. A few others have come back on board as well. Besides May Sandwich Shop and White Star Tours, Mike Drago and MikeDragoSports.com back for yet another season with us here at the Bulldog Hour, as well as the Hop family and three anonymous donors. I've now had to edit this sponsor slide here multiple times, which is not me complaining. Trust me, I appreciate everyone uh, and their generosity over the, uh, well, not over the last few weeks, few months, but also the last nine years as we've had a few people with us along the way. Really, really appreciate that. And there are multiple ways you can help us here. Sponsorships, advertising, the in-kind donations go a long way. The website is definitely a great repository for all things Wilson football and the Bulldog Hour. So check out bulldoghour.com for more. And I'll fill in for Justin again and say like and share any of our content that we put out there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast, we would love for you to like and share. It does a great deal for for us and our engagement. But I think that is it for us then here with the introductory stuff. Maybe one last thing. You can catch us live next Sunday, August 20th at 8.30. We will recap the Coatesville scrimmage and look ahead to the season at large. As when we're on that show, it will be less than a week until kickoff of the regular season. Wilson at Roman Catholic to be played at Upper Dublin. More on that soon. But... 
Our season preview will be on Sunday, August 20th, and we will be joined by the one and only Paul Roberts from SV Sports. He will sit down here with us and give us a preview for Wilson football in 2023. All right, so that is it for me and the introduction. Now sit back and relax for the next hour and hear me talk to Wilson head coach Doug Doms. All right, welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. I'm sitting here now with the man himself, Wilson Bulldogs head coach, Doug Doms. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for doing this, Joey. You always do a great job uh, getting Wilson football out there and uh, keeping our public informed and our fans informed. Well, thanks. Justin and I try to do that uh, as much as we can. Unfortunately, he couldn't join me today to interview you, but uh, we know he's thinking about us as we sit here in the, in the coach's den getting ready to talk about the 2023 season. And Justin will be back for the next episode. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk about you first. I know you love to talk about yourself. Um, you're back for your 18th year as head coach, uh, 48th on the staff, um, a whole bunch of uh, accolades and things like that. But uh, what are your motivations to keep coaching? I just asked your assistants that in the last interview session. What keeps bringing you back to coach Wilson football? Well, it's always a challenge, you know, and you like the challenge of uh, prepping for the other teams, you know, matching wits, you know, with uh, some of the other coaches and uh, just how much you can get out of the kids, right? Because uh, they never know their limits. And of course, you know, you love working with the kids, obviously. Born all those years for that reason, and uh, I coached all those years. Like to see what you can do when you can take a kid that is an average football player and make him a good football player, take a good football player and make him a great football player. And, uh, you know, it's just fun. Not to mention the, you know, the camaraderie with the coaches, you know, and their families that, you know, have been with me for so long, you know, one big happy family. Uh, a, a couple of big changes. Uh, you just mentioned the coaching staff and your connections with them and your family. Uh, we had um, a, a couple changes this year, but probably the, the biggest, most notable because of the uh, longevity of, of him being here was uh, Coach Matt Bender retired from coaching. Um, what, what did Coach Bender mean to, to you and, and the team over the last what, 25 years? Coach Bender was a – he's OC. <laughs> very particular, very precise. I mean, very everything in its place. So, you know, he's the guy that made sure, you know, all the uh, headsets were ready to go. Everything was ready to go for every game, every mouthpiece, every, you know, just super organized that way. On that side, the behind the scenes side that people don't see. On the field, you know, he was our signal caller. Uh, he did a great job for us, you know, settling me down sometimes. Uh, as well as, you know, getting our linebackers ready to play, making the adjustments we had to make. Uh, I know when he was um, leaving, it was very, very uh, difficult uh, for him. You know, he's football's been such a huge part of his life all this time, and he's been a huge part of our football program. So we're going to miss him. You know, uh, the good part is that we had uh, Anthony Ciotto, working with Matt the last couple of years, all right, as a volunteer. And uh, so he's going to step in. And there'll be some growing pains there and everything else because now he's in charge. He's got to design the drills. He's got to pick up the small parts. And, 
the little things. So, but, uh, you know, we will miss Matt. Who's filling in for him on those behind-the-scenes things? Is that something that Anthony's also picking up, or is that going to be done, you know, by committee? Uh, it'll be, Anthony will pick a little bit of it up. Matt will still help us out, at least for the next year or two, to get things going. Uh, but plus pretty much Chase Godfrey's going to be taking over all that behind-the-scenes stuff. All right. Um, well, in addition to um, Coach Bender uh, retiring and moving on, um, you also had a few announcements recently. You retired from your, your teaching position, uh, a long time uh, teaching here at Wilson. Um, also reducing your role with the track teams, I believe. Uh, still going to help out, but not as the, as the head guy. Um, wh what, was, uh, what was the motivation for you there? What was the reasoning behind uh, stepping back in those areas at this time? Very, very difficult. Right? Uh, as my wife kept telling me, Susie kept telling me, you know, she, we would like to travel a little bit more than we are able to. You know, you can't get away when you're a football coach. You're, your summers, you know, I mean, we typically go to Jamaica and uh, do some humanitarian work for a week in the summer and then visit our granddaughter in North Carolina, and that's it. And uh, other than that, with track, I was booked nonstop, football nonstop. So uh, she looked at it as a way of us getting a little bit more free time, especially in the springtime, to do some traveling. Stepping away from the teaching was very hard because you just build a rapport with those kids, especially the ones I had, you know, almost all advanced placement kids. Uh, they kept you young, they kept you really involved, they kept me on my toes, and that's going to be tough. Uh, but, you know, stepping away from, if I hadn't stepped away from coaching and track, uh, then I still wouldn't have any time anyway to travel. So by stepping back in track, and as I told um, my staff, I will, if I'm here, I'll be there to help out. But, uh, this will give me a little bit more freedom to travel, especially in spring, March, April, right? when football hasn't really cranked up yet and you know, track's just cranking up. So tough decisions, but uh, somebody will take over and they'll do just as good a job. Do you have an idea of who is uh, filling in at track? Um, uh, Joe Waterson, I think, okay. long-time assistant, is mm -hmm. going to take the head job. You know, And then uh, we had two we, – we brought a new – Young throws coach on last year, Hannah Weddle, and you know, she did a nice job. She's learning. And as I said, I'll still be around mm -hmm. to help the throws coaches as well as to help Joe with all the administrative stuff that right. nobody really realizes. That no one understands. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a huge part of it. Not to mention the staff and me, the Jurek girls all counting me. I'll probably get a swaggle this year. <laughs> Uh, you brought it up, and I, I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, I just wanted to get a little bit more information on on, on your J Jamaica endeavors because I know it's a big it was a big part of uh, your curriculum. Uh, in the winter, you usually went well, end of January, I think, yeah. and then back in the summer. Um, you just talk a little bit about that, how that got started, and the aspects of both the educational trip in the winter and then your summer trip. You know, mentioned the humanitarian aspect. I don't think a lot of people or enough people know about it, so I just wanted to give you some time to kind of mention uh, what it's about. Well, back in 1995, I took a graduate course there with Hofstra University uh, in a little town called Priory, which is on the North Shore of Jamaica. Uh, and I thought, you know, I could do this with some high school students and they tremendously benefit from it. So, 1996, I wrote the curriculum, went and proposed to the board. 1997, we took our first group of high school, 24 high school students down there. And that first year was 
pretty much all marine biology, you know, which is what I taught for nine days, the equivalent of about a semester of college in nine days. So it's pretty intense. Uh, but what we found was there's an infirmary there for people that are either crippled or mentally infirmed, and that's a poorhouse, right? It's government owned. And they didn't have anything. They had the bed they slept in. You walk in, it's barracks on both sides with about 25 or 30 cots. Not nice, not neat. Uh, pretty eye-opening, you know. Uh, but we thought it'd be a great thing to expose the kids to that. So we took the kids up there the first year. We took them there and said, you only have to go once, all right, because we only go up for about 45 minutes a day. And uh, so we took them all up the first day. We sat down to talk to a guy named Roland, who we had become good friends with. And we were talking with him for about 10 minutes. I said, well, let me introduce you to my students. You turn around, the students are all out through the entire infirmary, sitting on the beds, holding hands, and talking to all the patients. And that's opened my eyes. Yeah. So, wow, what can this be? So what has happened is Susie, my wife, and Carol and Howitz, who's going with us every year, they kind of took over the humanitarian part because the kids were coming back and saying, hey, can you get this? Can you get this? And we started out small, just taking, you know, toiletries, some clothing, things like that, because technically they weren't supposed to have anything. Then we started taking them CD radios and radios and things like that, and uh, cell phones, and before you know it, you know, we're starting to take everything and anything. I mean, probably the biggest eye opener was the year we started taking uh, laptops because these people were isolated from the world, never left the place, and now all of a sudden, access contact to the world. One problem: the Wi-Fi. So I thought, well, let's get the matron, the head of the place, a really nice laptop. So we got her a nice laptop, and then within 30 days, they have Wi-Fi. So that left them contact the world. So uh, our kids have been, you know, the kids are still, many of the kids that went way back then are still in contact with the people at the infirmary because, you know, they've become friends. And that's something that a part of the trip that has become huge. I mean, we take 25 suitcases of supplies every year for people in the infirmary and the local people that work there. Uh, do a tremendous amount of humanitarian work there. We take 450 sets of school supplies to the kids up, kids up in the hills every year. Uh, when we take the kids up to Bob Marley's birthplace, at Nine Mile, uh, everybody there knows us because you know we just are constantly bringing things they need. You know, people have to understand that in Jamaica there's no welfare, there's no unemployment, there's nobody to take. If you don't have it, you you don't have it. You know, there's nowhere to go. So. We're a big source for that little tiny town of Priory, and it's kind of funny because when we walk through town, you know, it's always oh, Auntie Susie or Professor. And they all call me. Yeah, they professor. call you Professor. Yeah, uh, and the kids have really bought into it. The community has bought into it. We have a lot of people that uh, have, you know, some of the elementary teachers have collected things for us. People donate things for us. People just donate money because. You know, Susie buys a lot of groceries down there for the people in the infirmary because their dinner, their lunch is their big meal. They'll get a little bit of root vegetable and a little bit of chicken or fish. And then for dinner, they get soup and crackers. That's that's dinner. That's, so 
we usually do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich day where we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The students make it for the, everybody in the infirmary. And then we take big 10 gallon bottles of Tang and, you know, give everybody this stuff. And they really love that. But as I said, Susie and Carol will go out shopping and uh, for the ones that are with it, you know, and bring them, you know, groceries for, that won't last long, but at least it's a little different for them. But, uh, it's become a huge humanitarian thing, right? And we're at the point now where we're taking two trips every winter, you know, because we have so many kids and we can only take 23 at a time because of the boat and bus. And then in the summer, I build. Right? Uh, they, the infirmary has gotten to the point where they don't, they're not worried about them having possessions anymore. So uh, we've gotten radios and watches and clothing and toiletries and all that for them. So now they all want cabinets. So I built cabinets or benches or lockers or whatever uh, for everybody in infirmary, virtually everyone I've built. You know, usually I get about five or six built in the summer, right? And then, um, then they ask, you know, that somebody else wants one. And so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, never, the last, huh? yeah, it's never ending. Unfortunately, the last couple of years of COVID, we haven't been able to go in to the infirmary. They've just left us in this past summer. You know, which was big. So I think we'll be able to get the kids in there next year. Uh, so Susie came up with this great idea that we should build a guy a house. <laughs> uh, a guy that's worked there we've known since we started going there. And his son, who's Brandon, who we've known since he was an infant, uh, lived in a 10 by 10 dirt floor shack up in the hills. And so Brandon, as he got older, he was 22, 23, started being a little bit more embarrassed about his, his, his life because he has a full-time job, but doesn't make that much money. So Susie thought, well, let's put him a house. Okay. <laughs> Easier said than done, huh? It's well, a big so, undertaking. I mean, uh, if you remember the Magalotis, they donated $2,000 <laughs> to get us started, and the rest has been donated by yours truly, right? But the first year... Shorty, the guy that we're building it for, and Patrick, one of the other workers down there, and myself, built two bedrooms and a bathroom right next to their 10 by 10 shack. So we went to two 12 by 18 bedrooms and a bathroom with running water. Right, so we that's a big that's a, a big, big thing. Change. Yeah. And then the next year we built a kitchen, living room, and third bathroom and porch, and tore the old shack down out the front. Didn't get finished because we. I only have nine days in the summer. Right. Not a lot of time to build a house. Right. Not a lot of time with three people to build a house. And getting supplies, you're at the mercy of the hardware. You can't get everything. I take a lot of the nails and screws and that kind of stuff, but, you know, lumber and sand and concrete, you know, when they deliver it, they deliver it. I don't have to be So we got everything under roof and enclosed. And then this past summer, we finished the kitchen, finished most of the tiling, a little bit of tiling to finish yet and everything, finished the bathroom and everything. So uh, a little bit little bit to do cosmetically inside. I've done, run, I've done all the electric and we've done all the plumbing and everything. So a little bit to do cosmetically inside and then we got to finish the outside because you can't leave bare wood on the sure. outside. So we have the net wire mesh is stuck on the outside. And a lot of students that are interested in going back next summer, which once they've graduated, they go along just because they want to go back. Right. 
Uh, and that gives that will give them something to do. They can paint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll get more paint on themselves. You know, usually when I build cabinets and I have students there, I let them paint the cabinets, and it looks more like paint wars than it does. <laughs> <laughs> Than it does anything else, but uh, that humanitarian part has just become huge. And you know, I have to thank the community. I have to thank. We have a couple of benefactors that help us every year. And, you know, it's become a lot more than just a marine biology trip. So. Yeah, it seems. I know it's uh, it's exploded. There's a lot of interest. You talked about taking two different groups down now. Is that something you're able to continue to do now that you've retired from your teaching position? Yeah, that's going to continue, and uh, I mean, that's one of the first questions <laughs> Dr. Trigger asked me when I went in and told him I was resigning, retiring. Well, the first one was football, and the second one was Jamaica. Uh, continue to do that. And uh, the other thing, there's been other schools that have expressed interest in going, and it's pretty hard to just go without. Having someone to walk, you, someone through walk you through everything. So Mifflin has gone with us, and they're planning on going next year, and I'll go along and teach that first year, and then they'll have a teacher there that will hopefully then take over. Uh, and there's a couple other schools that have expressed interest. So, you know, probably going to end up expanding it. So pretty unique to that. I mean, the hotel literally owns the building, but we own everything inside. <laughs> so it's, you know, I don't know how many high schools have their own uh, marine bio lab in a, in a foreign country. In a foreign country. <laughs> Probably unique, I would think. Well, that yeah, it's pretty awesome. I know I've talked with uh, Justin about it many times because I know he's he's been on the trip, and uh, it's always uh, cool to hear his stories and see pictures. And I, I always like when you go down to see the students posting pictures um, of, of what's going on, and everyone always talks so highly about the educational experience, but also the personal experience as well. So I wanted to make sure we got to talk to you about that before we focus on on the football. So, right. so thanks for sharing. Um, so let's quick look back at 2022, 8-3 uh, overall, second place in, in LL Section 1, uh, quarterfinals lost to Harrisburg, ended the season. Um, we talked about we talked about that to the, the students already and your assistant coaches, but um, what were your takeaways from, from last season, uh, the way 2022 went? Uh, is there anything that stands out as something to uh, improve on in 2023 or something you feel like you discovered last year and would like to continue this season? Well, if you start with the first loss with Roman Catholic, uh, I don't know that we've ever been out-conditioned like that before. And I don't know if we were out-conditioned as much as, you know, it was just a hot night and we had kids, you know, one kid, two or three kids going down with cramps. And we weren't as deep. As, you know, there was, there was some really important players that went down and, you know, we didn't have the second half. And, you know, things fell apart at the end of the second half. And, you know, they had that big six. And then, you know, a six-point game became a 12-13 point game. And, uh, and then they scored again. I think the kids are looking forward to that game because, obviously, they've been out. Uh, they've got some really good football players. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it would be a nice nice game to win right out of the gun, right out of the shoot. You know, because their program is really climbing up to be like a St. Joe's prep or a Sal, things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's who they're chasing. Yeah. When you get to play them there, which will be a little bit different yeah. experience for the team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little different going to uh, one of the super sites. Or no, I guess no. we're playing them at Upper Dublin. Yeah, is that the Upper yeah, Dublin that's one? That's the Upper Dublin game. But uh, it'll be a little different, you know, going down to Philadelphia area. And uh, you know, it's, 
I don't know if it's their home site because they play at a whole bunch of different sites, but you know, um, we'll have a captive audience. We'll be ready. So the, the only other thing I wanted to talk about from 2022, just to get your insights on it, because you know, Justin and I don't like to grab you guys, you coaches, or the players after losses. You know, there's a lot going on, and we don't want to rehash it right after it happened, especially if there are some things that people are miffed about. Uh, looking at the Hempfield game, there were some questions about kicking formations or attempts on the field goal, PATs that they were blocked. What was going on with that? Do you remember back to that game with what was going on with, did we think that Hempfield was lining up incorrectly or hitting the center? I'm trying to recall what was going on, but I remember that being a big point of the Hempfield game was was that the kicking situation. Yeah, they were they were hitting the center. <laughs> you're not allowed to hit the center. And, you know, he got his head down, he protected. And the officials were saying, no, he's lifting his head up and everything. But uh, it's we just should have done a better job, you know, with our guards, you know, when they started doing that and we saw that they were doing. But, uh, you know, hey, officials are going to call games the way they see them. You're not going to lose it. You shouldn't lose a game because of the official or win a game because of the official. So uh, if we're going to get those calls, then we got to figure out a way to, you know, compensate. So we're now a year down or you're finished of the Burks LL merger. Um, how did you feel the first year went? You, I know there wasn't as many implications in Section 1, but the trickle down through the league, did you hear good feedback by it? Did teams like having uh, the Burks teams, other than Wilson, new to the league? I didn't hear any negative at all. I think, the, I think you know, the, what they really liked was the parity because now all of a sudden, you know, you've got several teams in each division that's capable of winning. And you don't have, you know, like Manheim Central and LS, and that's it. Calico, and that's it. Now you've got three or four, you know, teams that are going to be right there battling for a championship, and some of the other teams, some of the other three or four teams that gives them a chance, you know, because now a team that was going 0 and 10 or 1 and 9 has a chance to go 5 and 5. And boy, you can see that when Mifflin went to the IC, you know, jumped out of the LL and went to the IC and went 5 and 5, how it turned their program around. So, you know, when teams are more competitive, it's better for everybody. Well, it seemed that each of the sections, if I recall, uh, even with a few really strong teams, a lot of their key games were later in the year. It didn't seem like there was one just running away with it. There was always a key game coming up that could swing it either way. Uh, but all the sections seemed to be very competitive uh, down to, you know, the final weeks of the weeks 8, 9, 10 seemed to be very interesting throughout the entire league. So I think that was definitely a benefit. Uh, like you said, the parity in the smaller programs being able to uh, – play against comparable size schools and, and athletic levels. So well, I think week 10, there was three or four of the divisions were going to be decided by the game. Depending on what happened, yeah. yeah. Which is you know, pretty but impressive. That's what you want. Yeah, that's, that's what the want. schedule makers want yeah, for uh, fan engagement. So, uh, so looking to 2023 now, um, whether locally, state, or national, is there any changes to high school football that you think the, the – fans and community should know about, rule changes, equipment, uh, personnel. Is there anything that came up this year that will impact the game or strategy or the, how the officials call it? Nothing really outstanding, you know. Nothing with clocks or anything? Because I know in basketball they're talking about shot clocks and adding that and things like that. Nothing in football, though? No, everything there is still pretty much the same. Uh, there's a couple of minor changes. I'll have to reread the new changes. Well, we have a rules interpretation meeting and all that. 
Uh, hopefully, they'll start to reinterpret, you know, a few of the plays. There's some things like when the helmet comes off, mm -hmm. you know, we had that in the Harrisburg game, you know, the defensive player, you know, pushed the offensive player's helmet off and we got a 15-yard penalty for continuing to block without his helmet. Because when your helmet comes off, you must stop you fighting. Must stop. the rule. Well, you know, so he pushes the helmet off and we have to stop playing. Shouldn't that have been a penalty on them? It the should have been. The legal the base. It, right. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see anything major now. Okay. All right. nice if they would bring, uh, I mean, they, the National Federation has allowed instant replay. Right? I assume that's a technological issue for the most schools. Well, what I push for the PIAA is why can't we do it in playoffs? Okay. Virtually every school has an end zone camera and a sideline camera. And when PCN was there, I talked to the PCN people, they said it's real easy. They could easily network them all. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Well, I, I do because in a playoff game, you know, a, a call can be the difference whether you're going to continue your season or not. Yeah. Well, we were up for I was with Bruce Badgley, Kerry Moyer, Eastern PA football. He did his broadcast um, through Penn Live, and he has immediate instant replay on little right. iPad setup. It's so the technology has become so accessible now for anyone. It's still pricey, but it just seemed to be something that could make sense for, like you said, at least start in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, well, the PIAA's response was that uh, PCN's not at every game. No, but there are well, cameras at every game. Cameras at every game. I, don't, I don't know. Is there a team that doesn't have a huddle design. count or something yeah. like that? Right. I, I can't imagine that there are many well, out there. In today's world, I can't imagine. No. Especially if you're making a playoff. They're a playoff kind of team. Well, if we know anything, and, it'll and take you know a decade. What? Just like, you know, it's a priority, it's a prerequisite that if it rains, you have turf. Make it a prerequisite. Right, and they have other rules in there. Why can't right. that be one of them? Right. If they want to get, you know, give them, give teams two years head heads up. By twenty, by twenty twenty five, you have to have this ability well, if you want to. Remember the Harrisburg several years ago when they fumbled in their own four yard line, you know, and the official said, "Oh no, he was down." And every camera, every picture you see, the ball's in the ground, and he's standing there. And then the official said, "I oh, would have ran out of time. You know, any timeouts? Well, there's four seconds left." Change of possession. Right. You know, instant replay. That would have changed, would have changed the whole thing. And now we kick an extra, you know, kick a field goal. We went, we go on. You know, those, the, in big games like that, they should have. They just should have. We'll see it. It'll just take a while, yeah. <laughs> as everything does. <laughs> when you're talking about any bureaucratic organization, things yeah. are not swift. So I'm sure, as you know, um, how about, uh, we talked about some changes on the coaching staff, some losses. Um, do you have any new coaches, outright new people joining the program or, or people shifting roles other than the departure of uh, Coach Bender? Well, Eric Bominer also resigned, right? Um, uh, and we brought on a new guy who was coached before down south, Dave Tavener. He's okay. a social studies teacher in, in, uh, in the lower house. He coached in Virginia for several years at all levels, high school, you know, JV uh, and, and junior high. So uh, he's learned the ropes, you know, uh, trying to take over. And then what he'll do is he'll work with the D-line, with along with my Okay. He'll pick up pretty quick. Uh, 
Who besides? I mean, everyone. Uh, and Pat Zerby's helping us out. You're right. Yes, you uh, know, in a voluntary uh, capacity. Voluntary because he can't be there all the time, so he'll sure. be helping out with. The, he's been helping with the tight ends, and again, learning. I mean, he played for Penn State, so he knows what that. But he's learning our system and our offense. Yeah. And then Chad's going to help out mostly in a Chad Henney's going to help out mostly in a uh, consultation. Consultation. Type role. Yeah, he'll be at practice once or twice a week. He'll then he'll be at the games. He wants to. He loves breaking down film, so he really just looking at it from a different perspective to see, you know, what he can do or what we can do a little different from his perspective. So that's a that's a fun addition. I know a lot of people were wondering once he announced his retirement what his his plans and uh, future uh, goals were, uh, and people mention coaching at Wilson comes up all the time. But um, well, he's co- he's also coaching his son's band. He's right. helping coach his son's band read football teams. Chase is nine, so. He's got a few yeah, years left uh, yeah. before uh, before he's up here at the, right. up here uh, with you, right? And then like nine years, right? Yeah, yeah still. Whatever. <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so twenty twenty three. Who are the top teams uh, in the LL this year? Who are the ones that stand out to you? Are we looking at the, the same that have been up there in the last few years, or is there someone that could surprise? Yeah, Township Hatfield. Township's pretty loaded in the skill positions. You know, the quarterback. quarterback's back, right? Yeah, he's back, and he just signed, I think, with Monmouth. I believe you're right. I believe it was Monmouth. Their one wide out is, you know, is really, that Kennel? Yeah, yeah. They're they're doing a really nice job, and you know, get them here this year. And you know, they're they're always going to be tough. The question usually with them is, you know, how we handle the trenches. You know, but that's all. That's always going to be a barn burner game. You know, Mark Evans has been around a long time, and obviously, I guarantee we're circled on his calendar. And then Hemfield, George has, you know, George Egger, who coached here, and, you know, he has him going. You know, he has a nice staff. He gets the kids buying in and believing. So he lost a lot, but, you know, with a school that size, you yeah. know, they'll just rebuild. Gotta, yeah, well, that's what Justin and I have always said when we talked about Hemfield, that if they could get the right coaching staff there, that yeah. could really, it was like a sleeping giant uh, out it's, there. It's like cover the valley. It's, uh, you know, they just got all the tools. It's such a huge, I, I remember going out there, um, and looking at the size of the kids that they would try out there uh, along the offensive line, they looked like a, a college team at times, uh, but they never seemed to could put it all together. And I don't know uh, what what was wrong, but once Coach Eager was hired, Justin and I looked at each other like, that's not good, because we knew that right. he would get that program where it needed to be. They would be able to hit the next gear. And uh, we saw it last year. Uh, yep. you know, they were able to come here yeah. and, and uh, I mean, to us, certainly an upset, and then they sure came in expecting to win that game, and they did what they needed to do to get it done. Uh, it was very impressive. I think they wore down towards the end. I think they, I think Wilson, I think you guys really beat them up in that game, and it, it was a tough going for them the rest of the season. I know they lost in the uh, semis in the playoffs, but um, they lost a lot. But quarterbacks back that counts for a lot, and when you yeah. got a guy who's uh, what did he just commit to USC? Poly Poly, I think. Um, I, I think it, I think it was USC. Um, you know, you, you've got some building blocks. So yeah, you've got some tools. And you got to go to Lannisville. Yeah. So it's always oh. always an interesting trip to Lannisville. Always interesting. A mile walk to the field. <laughs> <Yeah>. Death Valley. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, those are two games. Uh, Roman Catholic, because it makes it easy for the players and, and, and you coaches to say Roman Catholic because it's week one. You know, sure. we're one week at a time. But also you want to um, – you, you're excited for that game because of uh, – 
losing to them last year. But yeah, Hemfield and Manheim Township definitely yeah, a Central jump Dolphin, out. We too don't count them out. I mean, everybody can say a losing record last year, but they played a ton of underclassmen because of that. Yeah, they so, they had an interesting year. They were three and seven, started zero and three. Um, but played three good teams out of the gate. Uh, you in week in week two, then had to go to Coatesville the next week. Uh, they started at least an underclassman at quarterback for sure. Fourth string quarterback by the end. By of the year. end of the year, they were down to their fourth string. Now the, the starter though is back, I believe, and he's a little bit of a different player than they're used to. You know, they 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 want to run the ball, right. but the way he runs the ball is at, is out of pocket more. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt. But you expect them to be better this year with oh, all yeah, the, the yeah, returning tough players. Yeah, they're always tough. You know, they just—they're oh, always physical. For they sure. had an injury-ridden year last year. Is what happened? They lost—you know—they lost three quarterbacks. You know, imagine what happens if we get down to our fourth quarterback. Might, you might be talking about a tough a season. Sophomore, yeah. freshman—it yeah. would be rough. Yeah. Um, going to MLK, uh, played them here the last two years. Going down to MLK, playing in the Philly suburbs for that game, I think too. Right, that's uh, a super sight. Yeah, it's. it's uh, yeah, uh, That'll be interesting because I don't imagine the field is going to be the best. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how our fans travel. I believe that game's also at six thirty start yeah, time too. So some, something. I think they want to get it over before get it start. done before it's too dark. <laughs> uh, yeah. So at Roman Catholic down to Philly, Central Dolphin at home at the home opener, then at Martin Luther King back towards Philly area. Uh, then you get to open league play since the Berkshire merger moved things up. You got three. Uh, non-league games to start, and then a, a non-league game against Mifflin a little later. We'll get to that. But Reading, uh, well, how's Reading look this year? They've, uh, I think they lost a lot, didn't they? They did. Rodriguez, yeah, they, they lost their playmakers, but the thing about Reading is they're always going to have a couple playmakers. The question with Reading is whether they're going to put a line out. Are they going to be smart, big, aggressive? They're always going to have skill kids. Yeah. I don't know. They, they, have a, they have a tough road to hope. You know, just getting the players out, getting them on the same page, getting them there over the summer. That's tough. That's tough. But I expect them to be improved because, you know, it's, it's uh, their head coach's second, second year. Second year, Coach so, Troy. You got a year under your belt, you can move better. Yeah, I think a lot of people expect him to eventually get that program rolling and then regain some uh, – uh, respect in the league that they haven't, you know, they haven't been very strong for what, about 20 years now. It's been a tough go yeah, since uh, what, 0304, I think, yeah, was the last time yeah. they were a really strong team. Wilson Redding was a huge when I when I played here uh, with you, and uh, it's it's really fallen off. Well, they you guys didn't play for 10 years uh, after after they left the LL, so it was nice to be back. It, nice it to be back. Funny, over, right? Like the reason I ran into Singleton's dad after freshman year after our game, I was over it. Dropping my car off for inspection and ran to his dad, and and, the, and I and my wife was Susan's with me still a wife. He said, "Yeah, we had to get out of the city. We wanted to move out in the suburbs." And Susan's like, "What the heck did you go to Mifflin for?" <laughs> he said, "We couldn't stand Wilson. That was an intense rivalry, you know, back then. So there was we were moving out, but we weren't." It was not moving to Wilson, huh? You no, know, if it wouldn't have been for that intense rivalry, who knows? Yeah, well, that's. Yeah, new the new millennium turn of the century. The Wilson Redding oh, was. Wilson the, I mean, well, Wilson Mifflin had kind of fallen off because there were four four years in a six year period where they didn't we didn't play. Right. 
because of dropping from section well they first i think they dropped from one to two and then they came up for two years that we dropped from one to two so that rivalry and also wilson was dominating the rivalry towards the time that that was happening and then especially when they left for the ic um, which you already said that did wonders for their for their program to build it up uh, but Wilson Redding was the game. I mean, those 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 games oh, yeah. in the early two thousand with with Pat Chad Dallas. Chad Henney and James Bryant. You know, from yeah. their freshman seasons of two thousand all the way through their senior year in 03, those were huge well, games. Well, they had a stretch there that they had probably three or four divisional football players. Right, right. You know, we're talking about well, James' older brother Sam was right. a great player. Well, he went to Pitt, and then uh, Lamar Stewart, Lamar Stewart uh, right, Cook. State. So yeah, that, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny to hear to hear him say that oh, we're not going to Wilson because I went to Reading. <laughs> but I mean that, that's but that's what makes high school football so much fun and the, yeah. those local rivalries. So uh, speaking of well, first you have Cedar Crest. Uh, there, there were a team that I heard it, if it if there was a surprise team, if it wasn't Wilson Township or Hempfield, I heard some people say that they thought Cedar Crest had some some talent coming back. Cedar Crest always had skill kids, you know, and uh, I mean last year they just. They couldn't handle Cam Jones. Let's face it. Not too many teams yeah. can. True, but I, <laughs> you know, every time he touched the ball, I think he scored in that game. And uh, we didn't even have a whole lot of offense. I think he only played four offensive downs in the whole game. You know, we just talk about stats, but uh, yeah, they couldn't handle the big plays. And uh, they do have some skill. It's just a question of how they are up front. Uh, then, then Mifflin, who also had a down year last year, you know, had this this great run in uh, 2020, 2021, uh, lost a lot, uh, went three and seven last year. Finally, get them back at Gursky. It's been a few years since they were able to come here. Uh, last time they were here, they they put a hurt in, uh, so I'm sure the the fans and uh, the players are uh, excited to uh, to take them to the field at Gursky this year. Um, what what do you expect from Mifflin this year? They have a have much talent coming up or coming back? Um, they had a couple nice linemen. They got a pretty decent quarterback coming back. Uh, I, I don't know. You know Scuttlebutt is, Ford is not there anymore. Uh, right, I heard there may be some transfer stuff going on, possibly to your week one opponent. I don't yeah. know. There's been stuff all yeah, out there. We've heard that. So, uh, you know, who knows? You know, it, 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 you can throw all that out. It's missing. Right. You know, the so, records don't matter. Uh, then, then Hempfield. Uh, we already talked about Coach Eager and his team, uh, and we know that uh, so close last year, um, last uh, last few seconds touchdown uh, gave Hempfield the win. Uh, Penn Manor at home at McCaskey before we finish with Manheim Township. We talked about uh, Coach Evans's team and um, that they look to be a, a really good team again. But then uh, looking at, ahead at District Three, we already talked about Central Dolphin a bit because you play in Week Two, but. Um, I heard Cumberland Valley looked pretty good at the East Stroudsburg camp. Cumberland Valley is big up front. They've got really nice running backs. They're looking for a quarterback. Very different offense since you played them last. Yes. Yeah, they're not. The, you're not your big swing team where Josh is. Well, is you know got them a lot more spread, but they still like to run the ball. Okay. They use a lot of two back sets. So they didn't have a quarterback yeah. coming back though. He graduated. No. Okay. Their quarterback was a pretty nice athlete. He wasn't a great quarterback. He was a great athlete, but that made their offense clear. Very good. Uh, so he's got, you know, two or three guys. He's rotating through trying to figure out, you know, by that time, they'll be pretty good. Yeah. Then obviously the other one that both the, uh, the players and even the coaches hinted to just a few moments ago. Harrisburg uh, going to be another uh, 
kingpin in District 3, I assume. Well, you know, their quarterback is back. Will it be a senior this year or juniors? I'm not sure. I know, who knows? It feels like he's been there forever. Yeah. But, you know, they lost the big running back who really gave us fits. You know, they lost a lot of – they lost – you know, we, we couldn't handle Reynolds. Defense. Terrell, yeah. He was he was the real deal. Well, defensive player of the year, I believe, in the state. And, uh, they have the, uh, the receiver back. The receiver We've got a bunch back. of D1 yeah. offers. They've got, they've, they've got talent. Let's face it. They've got a lot of talent. Um, we'll see. You know, we got to get there first. Have a, we have a, a lot to do before that. Uh, what would be? Well, I guess on paper it'd be five out of six years if you would get to play them at some point in, in November, um, facing off against the Cougars, and of course the COVID year thrown in there too. So it, it's been a you know, it's been a while don't since bring that one. <laughs> it's been a while since uh, Harrisburg Wilson has come out on the Bulldog side. So I know that's in the minds of everyone. What it's not at the front yet because it's a no, long season, well, but. I know that's uh, I know that's creeping up under there. Um, I don't really get to talk to Coach Bender about this, so you'll have to um, let me know what's going on with the helmet this year. What was the decision? And where we we uh, we have a bulldog, we have the football, do we have script? What's happening? Uh, we decided last year that to let the kids have some ownership with what goes on the helmet. So last year, remember, we had the uh, scripted bulldog on one side and the W. Mm-hmm. You know, inside of the football. W the football, side. yeah. This year they they uh, decided to go with scripted bulldogs on both sides. Script on both sides, all right. You know, but that's we leave that totally up to them. I mean, I'm a little bit of a stickler for not changing certain things. But, you know, <laughs> well, I kind of talked me into it. They believe me. They wanted some other changes, and I said no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I hear from the uh, the alumni base, and I know there's some that really want that bulldog to always be on there. Right. Uh, so hearing that it'll be script on both sides will uh, give them a mini heart attack. I'm sure when you walk out onto the field, uh, if you have it on both sides for the scrimmage, if not, we'll see it at Roman Catholic, especially Central Dauphin when we get open at home. Right. So that's one thing to look forward it to. It is funny with the alumni because they said it's always been a bulldog. No, it hasn't always been. Well, I think actually, right around when you got here is when it shifted well, to the Well, it was a football when I got here. Okay, so yeah. that that might have been only when. So when was your first year? Seventy six. Seventy six. Okay, so you had the football then for two, three seasons. Yeah, about I don't, I don't quite remember. I can't, when, when it I was, was either seventy eight or seventy nine. So. Um, yeah, I'd have to go back and look at some plaques. I have it. I have it written down somewhere. I know I put the date out there before. I, I want to say the first. Well, you game know what? The one history of Wilson football, the one year at all the Wilson football has the helmets. Yeah, I think that was the twenty nine through the twenty nineteen yeah. season. I think so that one has the front. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Everybody wants to see the cover. That's what it is. <laughs> right. What, what changes are we getting this year? What's it going to look like? How am I going to be able to? track it down by image instead of uh, the, the spine or the years. Uh, so I asked you about this last year, and I think it's just become even more to the forefront. Um, name, image, likeness, trickle down in the high school. I think the PIAA actually already put out some rulings about it. I saw as soon as I think the PIAA approved on whatever their second or third reading, and I think it was Rodney McGraw from somewhere in Laurel Highlands, I think out west, already had an agreement while still in high school. Have you had interactions with student athletes, parents, uh, admin about NIL in no, high school? PIAA says the coaches cannot be involved. Yeah, I know you can't be involved, but like, have you people asking you about it? People ask about it all the time, and I'm I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I look at a school that's a private school that can now say, 
Okay, I mean, let's just take St. Joe's Prep. They can now say, okay, we can provide your parents with an apartment. We can provide you with an apartment. We can provide you with a car to get back and forth to school. And they can do all of that. I think it's ridiculous in college. I think it's gotten out of control. I think the NCAA uh, should have put some rules and guidelines in that they did. Yeah, it became a free-for-all two years ago. It became a total free-for-all, and, uh, and now we're seeing the, the results of it. Wow. There's some good ideas that people have out there. You know, there's some team NIL stuff, I think, that like Penn State does, where, okay, every, soft, every freshman gets this. Mm-hmm. Above and beyond their scholarship. Every sophomore gets this. And that way, you can't Say, oh, I'm this. The, the high school blue chippers now are—they're not going somewhere. They're waiting to see what they're going to be offered. Right. It's like the pros. You might as well make it like the pros. And you know, the Oklahoma State coach said, "Put them on a contract, one year, two year, three year, four year contract. One year contract after your first year. Well, we may not renew your scholarship." Right. You I know? think there's a—that's that's a risk you take. Right. There's there's another side yeah. to it. Not necessarily just NIL, but all the compensation for collegiate athletes that obviously this show isn't about. But there's definitely a side that people aren't considering. But you have no fear. The politicians are getting involved. So we know Congress will take care of it. <laughs> so we are in safe hands. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no comment on that. <laughs> no, uh, that's as much as I'll say about that topic for Don't sure. Don't talk to Susie either. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, she would be a great guest on this show oh. if I ever wanted to take it in, in so many directions. I might let Justin handle that, yeah. though. That, that, that's, that's, that's his right. Right. problem. <laughs> um, are there any new faces from outside the program, not coaching-wise, um, players, any anyone that you think is going to have a big impact and maybe wasn't on the roster last year or wasn't on the varsity high school roster last year, anyone that stands out or that people probably don't know about but you think they should? Well, people ask about transfers. It's the first thing everybody asks about. I think so far we have three, but I don't know that any of them are going to play varsity football for the rest of the year. Okay. Are, are they young? Are they young? They're underclassmen? Underclassmen, and they're not standout. They're just Joe Average. They just have to move. Okay. You know, they're not moving to Wilson because of football, that's for sure. Um, we have some young, you know, we brought a, a couple of uh, freshmen up this year, more so than normal. Um, that's a huge learning curve for them, both mentally and physically. You know, trying to get to uh, learn our system offensively, defensively. And, you know, they're used to being the big fish in the little pond, and now they're just little fish in the big pond. So we'll see how it progresses. You know, I don't know that any of them are going to be superstars this year, but, you know, the potential is there that they could be impact players by next year. All right. How about looking at the guys that you know well that have been here for a few years, especially the, the senior class? Is there someone part of this 2023 group that stands out as someone who didn't make a big name for himself the first two years in the program, but you think will really shock people this year, is, is poised for a breakout season as a senior? I think, you know, if, if you are, you know, our wideout crew is, and I can't say who's going to, I mean, Eddie Case obviously was an impact player last year, but, you know, Austin Dodd Cabbage had a really nice game against Harrisburg, breakthrough game against Harrisburg. Um, Jackson Wagner's done some really nice things. Maddox Gruber's done some nice things. You know, we have a nice core of whiteouts. You know, and then you have a senior quarterback that's been doing a really nice job with them. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to spread the ball around. And you know, 
I don't I don't know that we're going to be, you know, one of the things we've been pushing this year is, you know, last year, everybody looked to Camp Jones to make a big play. This year, you know, it's going to be more of a team effort. I mean, I don't, we don't have superstars. We have some nice, solid receivers. We've got a nice, solid quarterback, running back. We're, we'll wait and see where we're at with that. Uh, we're pretty solid up front. So offensively, you know, it's it could be a, you know, a grind it out, you know, possession offense. I'm not saying grind it out on the ground, just a lot of possession receptions and uh, just keep moving the football, which would help us because we're young defensively. You know, we lost a lot more on the defensive side. So, uh, superstars, not yet. <laughs> the the departure of Cam Jones has obviously been brought up by your players and the coaches. Just that it it's it brings about change because you mentioned there maybe there isn't there's no no one as electric as he was for the last few years, but there seems to be more of a committee approach, and the team has really rallied around the leadership that has stepped up from the senior class and the, the returning experience you have, has that resulted in schematic changes or is it more just not focusing on one person all the time? Um, schematically, I don't, we're not doing a whole lot different. You know, uh, We really didn't do a whole lot different last year. It's just that you know, Cam was, as you said, electric when he got the ball. And uh, the thing that people didn't realize is the field position we had last year because of him. Nobody would kick to him. So, and, you know, we did all different things with, if they pushed it, we would turn and throw it to them. So they really, they stopped pushing. And then all they did is just start dribbling. They didn't want to kick it hard enough that it got back to him. Or they'd attempt to kick it yeah. out of bounds. Yeah. So they ended up, you know, they would kick the ball and we get the ball to 40 yard line at worst, starting position for kickoff returns and punts. Forget it. They just kick the ball out of bounds or go for it, you know, because, you know, they knew he was a threat to go all the way. Now, hopefully our special teams buys in and we have one or two guys that can, you know, I don't know they're going to be as electric as Cam, but can buy into that, that, you know, we feel that the special teams can be a scoring weapon. It would be, if you would follow up Cam Jones' return skills with someone that could match that, <laughs> that'd be incredible. Um, we saw last year, I know he's not here anymore, but Makai Cooper also returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Um, but Eddie Case also, I believe, had a couple of nice punt returns. He might have taken yeah. one back for a score. Is he also going to be returning this year, or because of his role in offense and defense, is that not in the cards for no, him? No, he'll probably end up returning for us. I mean, I mean there's some other guys. You know, Correll Akins is, is, a, is a little more inexperienced, but can be a pretty nice return man. Uh, your well-maker's got quickness. Uh, Obviously, punts, I think it's going to be Eddie. Uh, kickoff returns, we might give him a break just because he's going to be offense, defense. You know, it's nice to get a one. Well, at least he won't be long snapping. I mean, Cam didn't even get a break there on punts because he long snapped. Yeah, at least Eddie will get a break. He'll get a break on punts. <laughs> uh, what are your expectations from this team here at the end of July before, you know, heat acclimatization and, and two-a-days start? After going through the off-season program, knowing these this group of seniors and this team that's been built, what are your expectations for the year? I think the senior leadership is going to be big. Uh, the thing we got to do right now is we got to get a sophomore group to buy in, um, practice-wise, to practice harder than they've ever practiced before. Because you know they struggled as a ninth-grade group last year, uh, we just got to get them to buy in because those. People don't realize the Tuesday, Wednesday players make the Friday players. 
You know, so those are the guys that have to give us the look on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and push the seniors, you know, to be the best they can be. And if, if we get them to buy in, the, the sophomore and junior class to buy in, to work that hard, uh, that will be okay. You know, we'll, we'll have a chance of winning a couple. <laughs> a couple? couple? That's what you're banking on? Two, yeah, two to three? Two or three. <laughs> All right, last thing, i uh, just like to always end with, do you have anything you want to say to the fans or the community before the season gets underway? Um, anything at all? You know, our fan base is always good. I mean, there's people in those stands that are 70 years old that come to every game. They have no affiliation anymore with Wilson other than they went here, but they're just diehard football fans. And uh, the, the, student, the student fans were terrific last year. I'm sure they're going to be pumped up and psyched about that. I mean, it's Friday nights at Wilson is just a different thing. You know, the, those home games, there's just a, you know, there's an ambiance there. There's support from the community, support from the staff, uh, the administration, the fans, all the little kids running around. It's, it's, it's just a special thing, you know. It's what makes football fun. Yeah. I expect more of that in 2023. You know, there's... The school has a bunch of events happening. There's always something going on. We've got gold out and green out and band night and youth night. And the tradition club always has an event. And you have senior night. So there's always something going on, something for everyone, uh, in addition to uh, hopefully a lot of wins out on the turf at Gursky this fall. So. And I know you've been getting pursued, whether you're going to sponsor it. What's the one coming up? <sighs> Which one? For the alumni. Uh, oh, the um, the, flag, the flag. That's a year away. We got yeah, another year. Yeah, 80th? yeah. This is season seventy nine this year. So season eighty is twenty twenty four. So uh, you know, in twenty nineteen, we had the big seventy fifth uh, season of event. And uh, yes, the the plans for the season eighty. It won't be as big as seventy five. Seventy five sticks out as kind of a big milestone. But we do want to commemorate the eightieth season. In some capacity, and that will be be happening. But the tradition club has already started speaking about what we want to do, and uh, there will be a flag football component uh, as long as we can get enough people interested. But at the end of the event, almost four years ago, a lot of people were like, "Wow, I wish I would have played." So yeah. there's going to be an There's opportunity. Some, some people have played. I spent some time with Greg Store. He just got inducted. He did, the yes. Football of Fame. And uh, I don't know if you remember all the one uh, Greg. Was it 78? I believe his senior fall, I think, was 78. Yeah, 78. class of 79. And he, uh, on one pass, he ran an out and up, and somebody threw Now, that would make Greg 62 at the yeah. time or something like that. I don't know. He's, he was pretty old. But he yeah. ran an out and up, and they threw it, and he dove for it, and he landed. Unbeknownst to anybody at the time, he broke three, he cracked three. Oh, ribs. did he really? Oh, yeah. didn't, oh man. So Mark Keever <laughs> wasn't the only injury yeah. to come out of flag football game. No. Yes. Yeah. I think you know what I think Greg was class of '78, senior fall '77, I think. But yeah, that yeah, would have put him. Right. That would have put him in yeah. his uh, yeah, what his mid, well, mid early mid '60s, I guess. Twenty-three. Right, right. Twenty-four. Yeah, it was probably early '60s. 60, yeah, '61. Well, it, it was. Honestly, the most shocking thing to come out of that event was how hard everyone played. <laughs> I, you know, I thought for sure, and, and it, the intensity ramped up a bit, but the way that first quarter group, and that was the, everyone I think from, was it the mid-80s 
earlier, like basically from anyone that played from 1945 <laughs> through 1984, some arbitrary cutoff because of who I had registered. That was I had like a 40-year allotment for the first quarter to get 20 guys out there or whatever it was. But how they took that seriously. It was still fun, and there was you know no no bad attitudes or anything. But they were there to play. They were and. That's what made it so fun, though, is that well, people weren't just I, goofing I, around. I, Steve Yeager ends up sitting with my wife a lot of times. A lot of the football. He comes every game. He lives in Harrisburg, but he comes to every game. Homer way. And he said he was sore for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this serves as your early announcement that if you are a, a former football player and you would like to participate in the 80th season event, be on the lookout because I started gathering information and trying to get people to play. I was pleading with people to play up to the summer before because we didn't have enough. And then finally it started trickling in and I got a lot of responses. Like I'm 50 years old. I can't be running around. I was like, it'll, it'll be fine. You'll have fun. And I, now a lot of those guys were like, I regret not playing. So they'll get another shot. We're, we're going to do it again. Yeah, that's right. This is your, uh, you got what? Four, this is like a 14 month notice. That's time to start hitting the weight room. Uh, start walking in your neighborhood. Get ready for uh, 80th season flag football because it's coming back. are going to be busy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, and if, if you would like some uh, – I didn't even get to ask you about this, but we talk about it with the assistant coaches. Um, if you need a sports psychologist, that's apparently uh, someone within Wilson School District that, that has uh, that capacity. So if you want to get ready for this flag football game, we can uh, reach out to her. Who I'm, I'm probably going to see if she wants to at least do an email interview, if not – an actual interview for the show because I find that very fascinating. So yeah, she's done a nice job for us so far. And Mrs. Camoff. Yeah, just okay. Camoff. Just Camoff. Uh, she's a guidance counselor at, at Southern? Southern. Okay, yeah. And uh, just touches on things that sometimes we miss. You know, we we're worried about what's going on on Friday night. I mean, we obviously know a lot that's going on with our lives, but you know, sometimes there's more that uh, how you handle things, how to cope with things, you know, in their personal lives affect that so it's i think it's going to be a real positive influence on our players yeah well I and mean, the assistant coaches talked highly of it and the players brought it up unprompted so you know it's it is having an impact so all right well coach i think that's all i've got for you this year appreciate you always taking the time to stop and talk with uh, me and, and justin uh he, before the season and after games and i'm sure we will uh catch up with you plenty on friday nights this fall so uh Best of luck on the season. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. All right. So thanks once again to Wilson football head coach Doug Doms for joining me a couple weeks ago to talk about a whole variety of topics. I hope you enjoyed a little bit of the diversion away from football to talk about Jamaica. And then one of the more popular topics recently was the sports psychology and uh, hopeful to have some more information and in an interview with uh, Mrs. Kamoff about her integration with the program this summer and the uh, sports psychology angle that um, has been used. It's very, very, very interesting. But I, I think that's about it. I do want to say one more time thank you to our Season 9 sponsors of the Bulldog Hour, May Sandwich Shop, and White Star Tours. Uh, no other announcements from me. It's always a blast to sit down and interview Coach Doms. And we will uh, have a... If you haven't seen it already, I don't know when I'm going to transmit it, but I did get to sit down with assistant coaches that I missed before. So you're going to get to hear from 
Anthony Ciotto, Jeremy Palm, and Mark Steinmeier. I don't know if I'm airing that before this show or after this show, but if you saw it, I hope you like it. And if it hasn't aired yet, I hope you I hope you like it. And um, then we're back to full live, ready to interact with you as we recap the scrimmage and preview the entire season with Paul Roberts. That will be live and in person on Sunday, August 20th. And then we're weekly, mostly Sundays. There might be a Saturday thrown in there depending on the, the uh, schedule in the fall. But we plan to have a show every week until the Wilson football season comes to its conclusion in 2023. And I think we all can agree that we hope that isn't until uh, close to, if not after, Thanksgiving. If we're playing when uh, Christmas lights start going up, it's been a great year. And I know a lot of us uh, are always hopeful for that. But that's it for us here at the Bulldog Hour. For Justin Raffoff, Coach Doms, and the Wilson Football Program, I'm Joe Mays. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.